once we run the season with a group of guys, there's a relationship there that, I mean, even once they, they part company and they go their way. Um, for example, I got a text recently from a fellow I haven't talked to in maybe three years. Uh, but I remember very well when he participated in one of our groups and he sent me a very quick text and says he was in a meeting with some business people and a whole spiritual conversation popped up. And he said he, 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 was, he knew how to engage. He engaged that conversation and, and he sent me the notes because we had taught him, he gave me credit, it wasn't all my credit, but he had learned from us how to do that and he wanted to thank me that years later that it was really working. Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with the Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is the third of three podcasts exploring a somewhat different model for making disciple makers, featuring my conversation with Mel Fleming. Mel and his wife Lois currently reside in Columbia, South Carolina. Mel is retired from the business community after having worked for many years in pharmaceutical and chemical sales. Mel is focusing on what he has always loved, pouring into the spiritual lives of others. If you've not been able to hear the first two episodes, I would really urge you to go back to hear some of the details of this approach. Today he wraps up with some inspiring stories about the benefits of investing in the lives of others. Now, uh, in the meeting group meeting session, this is fun. So in the first few sessions, we have the leader lead the meetings and basically walk through, here's how we need a small group. How do we handle the situation when one member of the group likes to, likes to go chasing bunnies? An idea pops up and we call them bunnies and he runs off in a totally different irrelevant direction to the topic at hand. Well, how do we bring that conversation back? Happens a lot. So we teach people how to lead a group, keep them focused, and to get everybody involved at every session. That's, that's a skill that some people don't have. We want them doing it, practicing that, and then participating. And then one of the things that they don't know, everybody does the same homework for the same session. What they don't know is who will be called to lead the, the, the discussion that time. So the leader will then pick up and randomly rotate around someone to lead that session. They don't know in advance who will get called. What's very interesting about that, they all know the discipline. They've all signed off on the same commitment agreement to do their homework and be prepared. The reason for doing that, what we're discovering is that very often God opens windows of opportunity in the marketplace. If we're not prepared, and I'm speaking to myself, I go, um, 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 what do I say here? We want people to be prepared to have something to put into that conversation when God pops that window. So we're trying to build in this discipline. We want you to be preparing so you have some biblical content you can put on the table. And then we also want them to learn how to lead the group effectively. Uh, so that it's beneficial, nourishing, and engaging for everybody there. And what we discover, if one of the persons gets called and he came unprepared, that is the last time he'll come unprepared. 
because the rest of the team came prepared and they're not letting him forget it that he let them down. We've seen that a lot and it's, it's extremely effective because it's now a team initiative. It's not a solo thing. It's a team running together, the team playing together. And we've chosen the word team because teams go on, you know, they play together. They play, you know, collectively. They're on the same, you know, they're on the same mission. Totally different from a committee. Same goal, same direction. We all help each other. We all cover each other's back. And we run that together. Same thing when somebody has to miss, for example. Each month they rotate the one-on-one buddy assignment. If one misses, if you miss, for example then it's your job and your partner's job for your partner to catch you up on what God taught that team the last session so that you didn't miss too much because you couldn't attend. So again, we want to build in this whole team support infrastructure, team building, uh, supporting one another. One of the lines that you have in the material you sent me was the quote, more time spent with fewer people equals greater kingdom impact. What does that mean? Oh, that's we borrowed that from uh, from the man who started Radical Mentoring, and he's passed away now. But he uh, he had discovered in Radical Mentoring men's groups, the larger the group, the less the impact in terms of takeaways. And, and he and I met a number of times to brainstorm and and compare notes and things. And he kept coming back to that. Their model was significantly different to what we're doing, but we learned a lot together because uh, we're trying to tap into men and really impact men. And what's significant there is the more time, and we've seen this since we tried larger groups. We tried groups uh, earlier on, 10, 12, 13 in a group. Uh, it's much easier for somebody to show up and hide and not participate. And we paid attention to that. and. Uh, with a, well, let's let's get the number of people down and then build into the process that everybody participates at every time, every session, group session. Number two, when you have fewer men there, it's much easier to do the one-on-one supplemental nurturing. The bigger the group, that becomes the more people you have, the more difficult that becomes. Time-wise, commitment-wise, relationship-wise. Number three, we really want this team to get tight, tight with each other relationally. Uh, you know, as, as men get more trust with another man, they, they really tend to open up a lot. Men don't like to open up quickly anyway. So what we're finding is that as they can go with a small group, small team, they start opening up, they become much more teachable much more quickly. So I think those are examples of um, more time spent with fewer men has a greater kingdom impact because going one-on-one, you can do a lot more personalized mentoring, engagement, and really help a man work through issues that he needs help with. Much more difficult to do when you have dozens or more in a large group. In the Again, in the material that you had sent me, there were a lot of comments from people who had participated in it. And I just was curious... Uh, what has been the most rewarding to you in this whole process as you've developed this with other people over the years? What has been rewarding to you? If you can think of uh, one or two examples or, or what really stands out as being only, rewarding. Only two examples? <laughs> as many as you want. <laughs> many. 
One is that once we run the season with a group of guys, uh, there's a relationship there that, I mean, even once they part company and they go their way. For example, I got a text recently from a fellow I haven't talked to in maybe three years, but I remember very well when he participated in one of our groups and he sent me a very quick text. He says he was in a meeting with some business people and the whole spiritual conversation popped up. And he said he, he he was he knew how to engage. He engaged that conversation, and, and he sent me the notes because we had taught him. He gave me credit; it wasn't all my credit, but he had learned from us how to do that. And he wanted to thank me that years later that it was really working. Another example is one fellow who was uh, is a marine. He was also a Navy SEAL. In the Middle East, many times, very, very intelligent fellow. I mean, this guy had leadership popping out, and you get close to him, and leader just popped out everywhere. He uh, really, really took this to heart. In fact, uh, he was the one that challenged us to use the word interrogate scripture because of his military background. When they found a captive, they would interrogate that person endlessly. In that context, I said, well, we do the same thing with the scripture. Anyway, he really, really blossomed. And for him, studying scripture this way just opened him up like he'd never been understood scripture before. And he's taken it to heart. He's, I don't know how many groups he's led in the last few years. And he was invited to go somewhere down in Arkansas, someplace to speak at some group thing. There were some pastors there, and so they had a small spiritual whatever conversation. And they had asked him to speak, and he, I don't know, he took a passage out of Hebrews or something. And he literally walked through the paragraph following his process. When there were several pastors, and how did, where did you go to seminary? He said, I never went to seminary. He said, I learned the process here, and all he did was walk through that paragraph, bombarding it with the inductive Q&A. And it absolutely blew every people, every people, people there just blew their minds. They'd never seen that. For him, that was a huge encouragement to do more of it. There had other guys that came back and said, because of the result, that their marriages have been saved. I didn't know about that. Didn't know it was in trouble. But they said later, uh, they learned a lot about how to interact with difficult people at work as a result of what they were learning here. Uh, and several that said they completely changed their father-son relationship with the teenage son, completely turned it around because he now learned how to interact with his son more biblically uh, to practice what he learned here. And then we've had a number of other people. One fellow just moved to Arizona. He sent me a note at last Christmas. He said, by the way, we haven't talked in three or four years. I want you to know I'm on my third disciple makers group since I moved to Arizona. Others have replicated three or four groups. They've tracked the people. I don't even know who they are. They have tracked and continued nurturing the people they have mentored as they go replicate. So when you begin to see that legacy, that is incredibly encouraging. Yeah. That's just a few. That's great. And in any process like this, when you're working with people and as the process is probably evolving, developing over the years, there have to be some disappointments. All right. Can you can you share with us some of the challenges you've had as you've gotten this going? Yeah, there are. 
people who commit to join and bail out halfway through for not legitimate reasons. That's a huge disappointment because you poured into them, the team has poured into them, opened up with trust, and uh, when somebody bails out, there's this huge negative hole. Uh, people feel that their trust has been misused, and it doesn't, hasn't happened often. We try to, as best we can up front, make sure that they commit for the season, and we try to help them understand the impact they will have on their teammates. And that goes two ways. But it does happen. The bigger disappointment it seems to be, and we're, we're really trying to figure this out, when we look at churches, this, I live in Columbia, South Carolina now, this city is loaded with churches. Many, it's the South is the church culture. And you look at the hundreds of men sitting on their thumbs, unengaged, making no impact other than showing up on Sundays and whatever they do on Sundays. That hurts. Hmm. Hurts profoundly because when you look at the potential opportunity, what could happen if 10% of the guys sitting on their thumbs would step up and get out of themselves and get beyond where they start pouring into other men? What kind of an impact would our culture have as a result of that? That one really hurts. So when we look at that, the number of men disengaged, unengaged, you think about, look at, look at the impact of what happens when men become disciple makers who make disciples. The legacy they create. It's not only a legacy in this life, it's a kingdom legacy. And how many men miss it totally because they're sitting silent? So when you have answers to that, would you come talk to us? <laughs> Prayer and encouragement. Prayer and encouragement. What would you say to someone who's been listening to this conversation and is getting excited about it and says, hey, I want to be a part of that, and I'd like to even start a group like that in my church? What would be some words of advice you'd have? How would they get started? Who do they talk to in their church? Do they go to the pastor? Do they just talk to other men they know? What are your thoughts about getting it started? Well, I would suggest they start They start reading scripture this way. Uh, it's really basic. It's really getting energized personally by feeding themselves. And then number two, go to the, the pastoral staff. Churches have all kinds of variations of that. If they're men, probably starting with, you know, what, depending on who's heading up the men's ministry, sharing a passion for, number one, planting the seed, say, hey, you know, like to find a way to get connected and start training and equipping disciple makers. What are the ways? Who are the men interested? Who can we start with? Uh, number one, try to get an endorsement from the designated church leader. Now, be prepared that, and I've, I've been hit with this several times, no interest, zero. That's a great idea. If you want to do that, fine. That's not what we're working on here. I ran into that several churches here in Colombia. Said, no, we're, no, 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 I'm trying to come alongside to help, uh, help you do what you're doing. You do what you're doing. But I'm just trying to come alongside and help. And I'd like to connect with a man who have an appetite to grow, but it's a good place to start. So, hey, they know if that, and sometimes pastors say, Hey, I got a handful of guys, you know, here's, you know, meet his so and so and so and so and so and so. You can feel free to meet with them and see if you pull a group together and go. But short of that, it may have to come back down to just grassroots, you know, networking. Finding men who are in small groups or in Bible studies or and say, who do they know that would have an appetite to grow beyond where they are now? 
uh, and do it the grassroots way. Uh, now, there are movements across the country, discipleship movements, trying to get more and more churches to really get engaged. There are a variety of programs out there. This isn't the only one. It's a tough, it's, it's a tough upstream swing in many churches. The other option, and a lot of men are now beginning to discover this as they meet men in the marketplace. Doesn't really matter what church they're from or if they're from no church. This is interesting. They begin to meet men in the marketplace who have a spiritual appetite. We've actually seen some, a number of folks that were not Christians, but had this huge spiritual appetite. Hey, can I, can I come? I want to help. Can you help me understand what the Bible says, how to work, how to read it? And people come to Christ that way. Hmm. I recently read some African country, and I don't remember which one it was. God's really moving in a big way. And actually what the church is teaching their new Christians is part of their equipping class is they're basically teaching parishioners in their church to learn how to look at Scripture inductively. They're going back to their villages and neighborhoods and inviting neighbors into their homes and saying, would you mind coming in and let's take a look at Scripture together? It's not an invitation to come to church. It's an invitation to come look at Scripture together and help us as we work our way through Scripture. This is very interesting. People love to be asked their opinion. And I've seen guys do this over a beer, literally, literally over a beer. You know, so chatting up his neighbors over a beer and pivoted the conversation away from football to, you know, hey, you know, what, you know, what has your experience been looking at scripture, blah, blah, blah. They've seen guys that say, you know, hey, I've been turned off. I don't understand it, but I'm interested. And the next thing they invite the guy over and said, would you mind meeting me for a coffee or another beer? And um, would you mind taking a look? Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter one, for example ironically, and they basically introduced them to looking at the text this way, which, by the way, they learned in high school English, don't forget. (laughs) So it's not foreign to them. And then when God opens the scripture and opens their eyes, wonderful things happen. So the opportunities are everywhere. The pastors and churches say, well, we're not going to do that here. Okay, fine. (laughs) We'll we'll find other people. (laughs) That's bigger than this church, sorry. Mel, if someone were to ask you, why should people make disciples, what would your answer be? Well, it's really not my answer. Um, it really comes back to uh, what did Jesus ask us to do? But then the question becomes, how obedient are we? How seriously do we take what he asked us to do? So, again, the classic passages, uh, you know, Jesus himself told us to go and make disciples of all nations. Everybody's heard that, right? He goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and catch the end. There's more. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. So what did he ask you and me to do? How obedient, it comes down to how obedient are we, really? There's lots in that passage, because he says, I'm going to be with you. So we're not doing it alone. And so when you begin to unpack scripture, you begin to see that the power, the power is that God uses from people getting exposed to his word. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to twist somebody's arm, takes the pressure off. So that's, you know, that's really, I think, at the heart 
of the why. People mouth those words all over the place. Then maybe here's an opportunity to stop and challenge people. When was the last time you really thought about what that said? Comes back to what does the text say? Let's unpack what the text says. <laughs> okay. Often, often people interpret that verse to say, go and make converts, which is part of the process. It's, but we yes. forget the development. We forget the disciple making part of that. That's correct. What are some qualifications, would you say, to be a disciple maker? What we're finding is that disciple makers are really hungry uh, to grow spiritually on a personal level, because that's a huge driver, a huge internal motivator. And when we characterize those people, there the tends to come a willingness to replicate that, a willingness to share it and equip other people to do the same thing. So what we're trying to do is say, okay, let's get more familiar with how do we use the word and then do that in the context of relationships that have accountability, intentionality, all with the view, let's train up others, equip others to go replicate. There are lots of groups, a lot of discipleship. There, there are groups that I know about that they call disciple making discipleship groups. And they'll read a Christian book a month to discuss the book, and they'll invite people to that group. But at the end of three years, they've, been, they've read a lot of books, but they're not really familiar with what the content, scope, breadth of how Scripture really works. They're not equipping others to go replicate, they're inviting them into a group, and it's a very different model. So we've talked a lot about disciple-making, but let's kind of look at what what is the definition? What does it mean to make disciples? So the uh, working definition we've been uh, been processing with is uh, kind of runs like well it runs like this making disciples is first becoming like Christ through a life of faith and obedience to Him starting there but doesn't stop there it is then intentionally establishing and equipping people through the Word of God in the context of accountable relationships all with the purpose of creating and replicating disciple-makers. So when you unpack all of those components, you have a beginning, middle, bridging to the end. Why don't you outline those for us, beginning, middle, and the becoming, end? Yeah, well, first becoming like Christ, mm-hmm. through a life of faith and obedience. And by the way, there's a very powerful prayer, Paul's first prayer in Ephesians, the back half of chapter 1. It speaks right to that issue. So it starts there. It's growing that faith through obedience and faith in him. And then intentionally establishing and equipping people in the word of God. Getting him in, what does God say? What does God mean? What does God want? How does God work? What is his character? How does he support us, work us, grow our relationship with us? It's very interesting when people begin to see that God wants a relationship and how that changes, especially men. Many men have no no clarity about their purpose in life. When they begin to see that that's a personal connection, all of which is spelled out in Ephesians 1, now they begin to see, wait a minute, they have a profoundly important purpose in life that changes the way they think, the way they behave, it changes their many things about them. It's astounding when men make that connection. I don't know my purpose in life whole. Oh, I have an eternal purpose. I have a real-time purpose. I have a purpose now. That's enormous. And to help men discover that, 
again, all part of the process of helping men discover what the text says. When they discovered it sticks, sticks differently than when they've been told that. And then the end is the replication. Yeah, replication, yeah. create equipping to replicate. I actually took a couple through it, fast track in the military, and they ended up in Okinawa. And the gals started picking up some gals in a local church. She found four women leaders. And they're just finishing up now, and they're all getting reassigned to other parts of the world. Well, thank you very much, Mel, for this time. It's been excellent. Is there any any summary encouragement you would give people as they, as they look at this process? Pray that God will raise up an army of spiritually hungry men who will commit to becoming disciple-makers. Because our world needs it desperately. We can use an army, an engaged army. If you're inspired to help the men and women in your sphere of influence, I urge you to pray for the Lord to bring people into your life who have a hunger to grow. We've also included a brief summary of this approach in our show notes. You can download this for your review. Join us next time as together we learn more about making disciples naturally. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.